from India's largest newsroom I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast India became independent on the 15th of August 1947 but became a sovereign democratic republic only on the 26th of January 1950 it's a good time to look back at how the nation has changed since its independence and becoming a republic So we're bringing back this episode, which we'd done earlier, and remains relevant on our 75th Republic Day. Every Independence Day, we not only celebrate the day, but also try to remember what it means to be an independent nation. With every passing year, we also have fewer people who've seen India from the time it became independent to the present day. There are things that all of us know as a sort of collective memory, like that video of crowds gathered in Delhi for the flag hoisting. or that iconic speech long years ago we made a tryst with destiny and now the time comes when we shall redeem our pledge not wholly or in full measure but very substantially but there are a lot of things that we don't know of as well this independence day my colleagues in mumbai bhavika jain and lata mishra decided to speak with three people who've been around since India became independent. They spoke with them about their memories of India on the day it gained independence and what that time was like. They spoke about how they view India at 76, which is younger than they are presently. They also evaluated how the country has aged so far and what they hope for it in the coming years. Julio Ribeiro, who spoke with Bhavika Jain, is best known as the tough police officer who helped end terrorism in Punjab and was the commissioner of police in Mumbai. But on the 15th of August in 1947 he was a teenager in a Mumbai college he describes what the day was like for him I was 18 years old I was studying in the final year of my graduate of my bachelor's course in commerce I was in the Sydenham college and my younger brother he was in the JJ school of art so we both went in a bus you know bst bus all over south bombay and there was a lot of uh, you know people lots of people on the roads and we were very impressed especially around vt station it was extremely interesting people were very in a joyous mood so uh, i remember that rahul singh is an author and former editor who has edited publications like the readers digest and the indian express he is also the son of author and editor khushwan singh born in 1940 rahul singh was a resident of lahore when it became clear that india was going to get independence he tells bhavika jain why he better remembers his experience of the days in the run up to august 15 in 1947 i was only 7 years old um and i think the day that india got its independence uh partition was taking place at that time and i think my father by then had uh, become a diplomat and had moved to uh, london so i can't quite remember that particular day but i can tell you a little bit when we moved from lahore uh the whole family was based in lahore in 1947 beginning of 
and uh, that is when the riots broke out. Uh, uh, my grandfather, whose name was uh, Sir Soba Singh, uh, he was he had moved to Delhi by then. He had been uh, a contractor, a builder uh, in what became Pakistan, but what was undivided India then, in a place called Hadali, which was a village in what is now Pakistan. And in 1947, when the riots broke out, uh, uh, I still vividly remember that uh, we used to go out on the roof of the building where we were living. We were living in a in a road called Lawrence Road uh, in Lahore. I remember uh, we used to see from the roof that there was trouble there, and my father even said there were some people being killed during those riots. So, because there was trouble in Lahore, my father said uh, we better. Uh, he he sent us all off the family. I had a small sister who was just two years old, and there was my mother. And so he bundled us up in a car and said, "Go to Delhi and stay with uh, your grandfather in Delhi." these riots will subside in a short while and then you can come back again. Of course, we never came back uh, because um, the riots became worse and worse and then uh, partition took place. Dr. Rustam Sunawala is perhaps Mumbai's oldest gynecologist and obstetrician and has worked on population control for a lot of his life. He helped in the creation of India's abortion law and pushed for the use of contraception devices for women so that they could control how many children they had. Given the nature of his work for over 50 years of his life, it's hardly a surprise how he describes the event of independence to Lata Mishra. The Independence Day celebration, being an obstetrician, I would compare it like the birth of a baby. When a baby is born, the whole family rejoices, all visitors come with gifts and all. So, it was like the birth of our country. And everybody was happy, everybody was rejoicing. But as Rahul Singh described it, it was also a time of violence. Dr. Sunawala, who was almost a teen, remembers vividly how he and his parents escaped a mob thanks to a stroke of luck. My father used to just drive the car on Sundays. Our driver was off. And my mum, myself, him, went for a movie show to Paradise Cinema at Mahim. After the film got over, on the screen, a notice came that there are riots near Shivaji Park. So our clients or whatever are warned to be careful when you, those who have to go through Shivaji Park. At that time, God Save the King was always played. We stood up and then as we got out of the theatre, we saw three other Parsi ladies from the same colony, Dada Parsi colony. So naturally we offered them lift. So my dad was driving, my mother and me were sitting tightly. It was an old Opel car and the three other ladies were accommodated at the back. It was all quiet. There were a lot of policemen at Shivali Park, not a soul to be seen. 
completely deserted. So we were quite happy. We took a left turn to come to Tilak Bridge. As we took the left turn, a mob of maybe 100-200 people from the side lanes suddenly appeared. It was really a frightening shock to see people with sticks and stones in their hand coming suddenly out and they stopped the car. At that time, the old cars had a radiator and a cap on top. So they opened the front cap, which was metallic, and started hitting the front glass to break it. And the side glasses were up and we had locked ourselves in. They knocked on those glasses, but thank God that old German Opel car could take it. Sunday we could hear somebody who had opened the patrol cap and said, Machislau, Machislau. And that would have been disaster because if they had thrown the matches in the patrol tank, it would be like a bomb. To our good luck, a Sikh gentleman, I can vividly see him now, quite tall, hefty, leaned across the car window and saw my dad. He just put his hands up. Chodo, chodo, kuchni karo, Dr. Sabe. Dr. Sabe, my father was a physician at Nair Hospital and he happened to be one of his patients. How luck works. And the car, then we were trying to start the engine and the engine wouldn't start. So it was great to watch the crowd pushing the car to give us a start. And as soon as the push was given, the engine started and we got onto the Tillich Bridge and came back to Parsi Colony safely home with the car a little bit damaged by the sticks that they were banging and all. And it was an experience I will never forget. At the time of India becoming a republic, it already had its biggest hero. Dr. Sunawala talks about how Mahatma Gandhi's methods were questioned right until India became independent. But on hindsight, it's even more remarkable, he says. I think he was the right person who was responsible for the independence that we finally got without violence. At that time, it seemed that it was stupid to be non-violent to get the independence. But after so many years, one realizes that what he did and achieved was something unimaginable. Without violence, without a gunfire, without a fight, without anything, he managed to get the country full independence. Julia Ribeiro, on the other hand, remembers seeing Jawaharlal Nehru and talks of the aura that surrounded India's first Prime Minister. Panditji, I saw very often in the course of my duties, my wife and my baby, which she had just been, she was about a year old, and uh, she, the baby, was brought by my wife to, to be petted by Padiji in Nanded, where I was the SP. And uh, I remember that very well. I remember people running after his, his jeep. Usually he liked to stand in a jeep and wave out to everyone. And we were very worried, but there was not that great danger in those days. People were just happy with him. Rahul Singh, on the other hand, remembers the effects of partition on his family's life. He remembers how partition changed people and the effect it had on his father. What I do remember 
about Lahore at the school I went to mm. and uh, a girl became my very close friend called Shireen Kadar. Shireen's parents' uh, father was a, a very well-known lawyer in Pakistan called Manzoor Kadar who then later on became head of the Supreme Court in Pakistan and foreign minister under Ayub Khan. When the riots took place and uh, partition took place, uh, Manzoor Kadar and his family moved into what used to be my father's house flat uh, so that it would not get looted. And my father, he left everything to Manzoor Kadar and Manzoor Kadar became the owner of that house. What partition did was, I think it created two kinds of people. One who suffered a lot uh, and who became very embittered and sort of, I would say, almost communal because they'd suffered at the hands of Muslims. They became rather communal. But my father was in the other category of those who uh, were not embittered, who, who were sad that the country had been divided up and who made it their ambition to try and bring the two people together. Not that it will ever be possible to bring the two countries together, but at least try and have better relations between Indians and Pakistanis. That's what was his great dream. And as a result of that, uh, whenever any Pakistani came to visit India and wanted to see my father, father was quite busy at that time, he always opened his doors. Uh, there used to be a joke in the family uh, because he was a little particular whom came to see him. When we picked up the phone, if it, if, if it sounded like a Muslim from Pakistan, immediately they were welcome to, you know, come there. No, that whatever we were being ruled by is now our own responsibility to find the means of ruling the country and deciding on rules, laws, whatever we want, according to what we needed. And independence was a sort of a freedom a freedom in life, which is very, very important. Freedom of thinking, freedom of speaking, freedom of action. And it is a necessity of life. And we got that on 15th August 1947. So that we had to work hard to develop our country. And although we might not be as fast as people would like or we would like, but throughout these years, India has progressed and in the right direction. There is a lot to cheer about India as it turns 76. Bhavika and Lata spoke with our three interviewees about what they thought was the biggest improvement that they've seen in their lifetimes. Rahul Singh points out how while the biggest change he's seen in recent times is the growth of the information technology sector, there are other things like the green revolution that ensured an end to famines. In the last last few years, I can say, uh, the, uh, the revolution in, in uh, information technology, that's 
number of smartphones people are using all that i think that but before that frankly we really had we did have a green revolution as a result the green revolution we were able to feed our people there were no mass famines the other achievement if you can call it that was that our foreign policy was we were admired you know in the world our non alignment policy was something which nehru uh, himself you know was pioneer really and uh, it gave us a certain uh, stature in the world while it might not be an indian invention dr sunawala points out that it was medical imaging that completely changed his line of work in the medical field on mainly obstetric gynecology side plus in other specialties too imaging the ultrasound has really changed the approach to medical treatment because we could better diagnose you can see you can diagnose properly and if your diagnosis is good your treatment is good but dr sunawala is just as happy about the rise of women in india something he says is a far cry from the situation when he took up medicine i used to i'm a obstetrician gynecologist looking after the welfare of the women not only the health thing but the welfare of the women and what was striking was the complete empathy towards the health of the women nobody bothered they were always considered as a second class citizen no facilities given everywhere it was male dominant society now i am so glad to say that especially in our obstetric gynecology field the women have become the leaders as they should be because it is after all their own fellow sex people who they have to look after the amount of women power that is building up the women heading major institutions which at that time was not even thought of julio ribero says the use of technology in policing today is impressive though he admits he can't really keep up with it for example i don't know this technology mm. like i like now today even mr rani he he knows technology very well and i keep him present to help me because i i can't get used to it because i i'm no but now technology is most important every policeman knows it and all my grandchildren <laughs> they laugh at me because i can't do it so they come and help me to get it all done however what upsets the former director general of police is that police forces have become more compromised to political powers that is unfortunate because of the influence of politics because a lot of people want to uh now advance not by their own work but by becoming friendly with the politicians and that is causing a lot of problem it never happened in our time and we we were uh, i think fortunately not involved in all this julio ribero says that unless the law is implemented impartially the respect for the rule of law will only keep declining unless the rule of law that means whoever commits an offense should be prosecuted 
You don't have to go and put him in the lockup. Now they are putting people. Five years, those, those uh, leftists are kept there for five years. And God knows yeah. what that evidence is. It is, uh, it's very unfortunate. I think the whole system has changed. And that is not to our advantage. Because if people get used to this kind, they will stop learning how to investigate. They t nowadays you will find that officers at that level of Mr. Hanian, they don't take interest in investigation because they know it doesn't matter to some. If he's this party or that party, he gets off. If he's that party, he will be put inside. Uh, we were not brought up like that. that you, whoever it is from whichever party, that is not our concern. Okay, is there anybody willing to talk, say, to Modi ji or to, or to our... Uh, Amit Shah, they're afraid. <laughs> they're so afraid. No, this is not the way how of people. So it's a quite different. Yeah. Sir, I, I would not be able to work in these circumstances. I can tell you that. But what do they see as India's biggest failures in 76 years? Rahul Singh says that for him, it's the failure to reduce poverty in the country as well as the failure to provide better health care and education to its citizens. I think our biggest failure, uh, I would say there are two areas and they're all connected. I think our biggest failure has been to not reduce the number of poor people in the country. We still have about 250 million uh, Indians who are below the poverty line. I think our second biggest failure has been in the area of health and education. Um, Nehru was a great man, had a great vision, but the two areas where he, I think, failed and where a country like China did much better, even a country like Indonesia, big country did better, was in the areas of education and health. And by education, I don't mean higher education. We set up IITs and IIMs and, you know, good universities. But where we failed was in providing good, basic primary schools all over the country. We didn't do pay enough emphasis on primary health care and primary schools. And connected with that was our failure to control the population growth rate. Julio Ribeiro also believes that it's illiteracy that the Indian state should have done more to tackle. Dr. Sunawala, who has campaigned for population control for many years of his life, says the Indian state should have done more to curb the growth of the nation's population. We may make a proud show that India is the most populated country. I really feel sorry for them that they don't realize what is the benefit of a big, uneducated, poorly fed, unhealthy and unprovided for a shelter population in the country where I would say it's a human right to be looked after for education, for health, for food and accommodation. It is a human right which our country should look into for every individual Indian that is born. Education and health are very necessary for the progress of a country. It is not whether we can make planes or whether we can make tanks 
or whether you can make guns that is important for the country. A country's progress as a doctor and a citizen, I would say, is to be measured by a yardstick of how much good health you can provide them, good education we can provide them, and a good, happy life we can provide them. Happiness in life is a very important thing. And I would say hardly any people are that happy as they should be. But what of the future? India at 76 is in a moment where its influence as an economic and political power is growing. What do our interviewees worry about in India's future? Rahul Singh says that India shouldn't take its freedom for granted, especially at a time it has a majoritarian government. But he has no doubt that the future is bright for India. He would, however, like to see India be able to retain its brightest in the country. I think we've got a great future. Look at how Indians have done all over the world. But the sad part is, Indians have done very well when they go abroad. They should be doing better in India itself. We should remove some of the shackles that there are on Indian business here. You know, almost every second friend I've got has got their children studying and living abroad. Why? They should be coming here and there should be conditions here where they're able to really uh, thrive and improve the Indian economy. I wish there were more and more Indians, educated Indians, who would work for this country. When I was uh, finished my studies, amongst all of my contemporaries, there was no question about staying abroad. We all took it for granted that we were coming back to India. Nowadays, they want to live abroad and not come back to this country. At my time, they all wanted to come back to the country. There was a feeling of nationalism, feeling to serve the country. That somehow is gone. You've got a certain kind of nationalism here, but it's not the same kind of nationalism that was there at my time. Dr. Sunawala worries about a future where justice is openly denied and the rights of women are not protected. Arrogance and greed are two things which is ruining the human life. Uh, greed for more and more and more. If you have enough to look after your day-to-day food, home, happiness, good sleep at night, is what is more important than a bank balance or a black money balance going into crores and crores of rupees. The women who brought credit to the country by getting gold medals, how shabbily they are being treated by the boss who was very uncomfortably touching their body. He is behaving as if he has done something right. When there are so many girls who have been molested by that individual, yet he is going free. It is something which is unacceptable. The women and children are not protected in any society. That society is not worth living for.
And that is what is happening in the country. The politics and justice being denied, openly denied. Julia Ribeiro worries that movements to maintain communal harmony are no longer working. He cautions that while there is a lot to cheer about India's growth, there is a lot to be cautious about as well. After I returned from Romania, I used to get involved in communal harmony. We had the Mohalla Committee movement and we had succeeded. But now the same workers tell me that there is so much fear and all the work they have done is now of no use. They have to start off again. But I say don't give up. Don't give up because it's not fair to the people. I would say that the, the present government in power has done a lot of good work. Let us not uh, diminish their work. For example, the money goes directly into the bank. That's a great, great uh, this of them. And uh, uh, there are many other things that, what shall I say, that they have succeeded in. But this uh, kind of, uh, what is the word for it? Prejudice against one particular community is not going to help this country at all. It might give them votes. First, I thought it is for the purpose of getting power. That if you go after this community, the Hindu vote will be, uh, will, will come together. 80% of the people. But it has not happened like that. But quite a number of people who would not have voted have are being have voting for them. <laughs> I I have no doubt about that. What is politics? It's a quest for power. So if they get power that way, I suppose I how can I fight with them? But the the down the downside is what I've worried that if you divide people in this manner like they are doing, it is going to be bad in the long run. Mm. We have a very dangerous neighbor on our east. The one on the west we can manage easily, but the one on the east is very dangerous and is much stronger than us. So I think the whole approach should be like that. That please keep in mind the future of this country. And if you just go around wanting only to win election, uh, it might cause a lot of problems in, in the future. This is my view. Today's episode was produced by Jairad Singh and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at tuipodcast at timesinternet.in.